This is episode 356 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are 10 Crucial Skills Your Survival Team Needs to Meet and Bicycle, the Often Forgotten Bugout Option. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Everyone, this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey, if you find yourself needing a little bit more money, there is something that you do that you're really great at that people will pay more money. And you can create a side business or a micro business. And if you think about it, what would an extra $50 or an extra $100 a month do to your finances? I mean, how would that uh, help you to add to your preparedness, to pay down debt, to build an emergency fund? And so this is what uh, the book helps you with, kind of gets you on the right track. It's a quick, easy read. And then you also get a lifetime uh, membership or access to the Prepper website forums where there are uh, people talking about micro businesses, but also we're talking about any other preparedness related uh, event as well or forums. You know, we all the subjects are there. So if you want some more information, uh, click the link in the show notes or come on over to the Prepper website podcast.com. All right, our first article comes to us from survivalpedia.com. And one of the biggest questions that I get most often, and there's there's a few, right? But one of the biggest ones that a lot of people are interest, interested in is how do I form my survival group or how do I meet people to form a survival group? Because they know that, you know, the the, the Lone Ranger prepper survivalist out there, a lot of people understand that that's not really doable. Um, you know, there's very a very very small percentage of people that could just go out into the woods and uh, you know hide themselves and and live comfortably out there. Most people realize that they're going to need people to survive if there ever was you know a collapse or grid down or SHTF or whatever whatever we want to call it, right? And so that's one of the biggest questions that we always get. And there's really not a lot of good answers. I mean, it would be nice to have something like, uh, you know, uh, some kind of matchmaking website that would hook people up. But there are just so many different things, right, that, that go along with that, uh, that it just so many variables that, that just wouldn't work. And so there are forums where you can go and you can meet people from your part of the country. Um, you know, there's Facebook groups and all those types of things. But, you know, when it want, when it comes down to it, people want to know how to go about doing it, and so I think this article um, you know lays out some some great ways to get started and to think about where you need to head if you're looking for a survival group. So let's go ahead and start off with this one again. The title is Ten Crucial Skills Your Survival Team Needs to Meet." Survival, especially in a long-term survival situation, is an extreme challenge. What our ancestors thought of as their normal day-to-day life during our country's pioneering days would push even the hardiest of us to the extreme. The myriad tasks necessary for survival without our modern conveniences and infrastructure make survival an all-consuming task. 
We think of ourselves as knowledgeable today with the vast amount of information we have at our fingertips. Yet, there is much that they took in stride which we would have no idea how to handle. Whereas pioneering families grew almost all of what they ate, few of us today even have a vegetable garden, let alone one that's big enough to truly make a difference in our family's overall calorie intake. This isn't to say that we can't do it, just that we're not accustomed to doing it. Mankind has an amazing ability to adapt to varying situations, even the most difficult ones we can encounter. Even so, we adapt better when we do so together, with each using their strength to help the other. That's what a survival team is all about. It's a group of like-minded people who have chosen to band together with the common goal of preparing and training to survive together. When and if a serious survival situation should occur, they will come together at a predetermined location to work together and help each other survive. So why join a survival team? The clear advantage of creating or joining a survival team is that you will have more people working together towards the common goal of survival. This means that each person will only have to learn some skills, becoming highly proficient in them, rather than trying to learn all the skills necessary to survive. There is also a potential for cost savings by being part of a survival team. If you have one person in the team who is responsible for a particular area, they will invest in whatever is necessary for that area, saving the rest of the team from the necessity of investing in that area. But the bigger advantage of being part of a survival team comes when a disaster strikes and you have to activate the team. Working together increases your productivity, allowing the team a much greater chance of survival. Should it become necessary to defend your survival retreat from attack, a larger team working together has a much better chance of repelling the attackers and surviving. What's wrong with joining a survival team? This is not to say that the being part of a survival team is a bed of roses. I've seen too many people who have joined a team bringing one skill with them that they expect to do full-time while expecting the team to carry the load of taking care of the rest of their needs. There are few survival skills that will need to be utilized full-time in order to meet your team's needs. The team medic hopefully won't have to take care of injuries full-time. The team's communicator won't need to be monitoring their radio 24 hours a day. Whoever is the leader won't be able to just sit in the headquarters making sure that everyone else does the work. For any team to work requires equal commitment and equal work, but some skills require less work than others. Therefore, the people who are fulfilling those functions must be willing to do other work in order to fulfill their commitment to the team. The same can be said for the financial side of the team. Members of the team won't have the same income levels, nor will their specialties require the same amount of investment. So, how do you handle that? Does everyone give equally to the team pot, with the idea of paying for everything out of that pot, or does everyone pay for their own area of specialty? Do those who have more pay more, or does everyone pay equally? These are important decisions that have to be made before the team is established. Keep in mind that preparing for several families who are part of a survival team is much more expensive than preparing for your family alone. Many of the medical supplies you might stockpile for your family would need to be multiplied by the number of families in your team. The same can be said for most other areas. 
If you were using aquaponics for gardening, for example, you'd need enough equipment to set up a garden which could feed all the families. Your family, your first survival team. Your first survival team is your family, whether that means a married couple or a couple with kids. Either way, you live as a family and you survive as a family. This has been the way things have worked throughout history, and if you think about it, it's the way that things are done even in our modern society, with each family member contributing towards the good of the family. Turning your nuclear family into a survival team merely means that each member of the family learns skills that will help your family survive. Depending on the size of your family and their ability to learn new skills, it is possible for an average family to learn everything necessary for survival. During the years of our country's westward expansion, there were many families living in remote homesteads which managed to survive alone, without the benefit of a nearby town or the skills that might be found in that town. While they certainly lacked some important skills and that caused them problems, they still worked and survived together as a family. Expanding outward. The next level of the team might be your extended family. My children are all grown and married, so my nuclear family is just my wife and I with our dogs. We are prepared to survive together when we are faced with a disaster. But we are also prepared for our children and grandchildren to join us should they need to abandon their homes. This makes our extended family part of our survival team as well. In our case, my wife and I are carrying the bulk of the financial burden of preparing. As our children are recently married and starting to raise their families with all the associated expenses, we are better able to invest in preparing than they are, so we are doing it. They do what they can. Each of our children and their spouses have skills which can contribute to the survival of the whole family. Even though I am the survival expert in the family, as well as the one with the most survival skills, I have already taken inventory of their skills and abilities from the viewpoint of seeing how they apply to a survival situation. So collecting a team. For most of us, our nuclear family really isn't big enough to make for a full survival team. It is difficult for one family to have all the necessary skills, especially when it comes to some things that require a lot of time to learn, such as medicine. Most families don't have enough members who can act as shooters either, so it is difficult to defend yourself. That means going outside the family to seek out people who you can form a team together with. At this point, most people focus on looking for specific skills, when in reality you need to focus on looking for specific kinds of people. You need people who can work and live together with you on a long-term basis without ending up at each other's throats. For this reason, it's best to start out with people who are already part of your circle of friends. You've probably already talked to these people, at least some, about prepping and survival, so you've got a good foundation to work with. Invariably, you'll find that you need skills that don't exist in your circle of friends. That leaves you with two options. Someone in the team learn those skills or you go looking outside of the circle to find people who have the necessary skills. Should you pick the second option, start by building a friendship with the people before trying to bring them into the team. You need to know if you can get along with them, not just if they have the skills you need. If you can't become friends, then it would be poor OPSEC to let them know what you are doing to prepare for a disaster. They might use it against you. So skills you need in your team. With that in mind, what kind of skills do you need to have in your team? 
Remember, these can either be skills that the person already has or skills they choose to learn. Either way works just as long as you have the skills you need before you need to use them. So leadership. Someone has to be the leader and it's best to have someone who is a natural at it. Your leader should have more to contribute to the team than anyone else, whether that means that they have more survival skills, own the land you're going to build your survival retreat on, or have the money to fund your team. Survival. This is all about survival, so you need at least one person who is a true expert on both urban and wilderness survival techniques. Infantry. Someone who can coordinate and lead your defense efforts. Gardening. You're going to have to feed yourself somehow. Gardening will probably be a large part of that. Aquaponics may be part of your gardening effort, but probably won't be all of it. Animal husbandry. Unless you want to be vegetarians, raising animals for food is probably going to have to be an important part of your survival strategy. Medical. Chances are that you'll have team members who will become hurt or ill at some time or another. With medical services overloaded or hard to get to, you will need to take care of as much as you can right there in the team. General repairs. From mechanics to carpentry, you'll probably have things that break and need to be repaired. A good all-around handyman who can repair everything will be a valuable addition to your team. If they can make things from scratch, that's an added bonus. Communications. While not a major need, you will want to find out what is going on in the world and whether the country is coming back to life. This will probably require someone who is a ham radio operator. Then a scrounger. A good scrounger who can find things to repurpose and use can be an invaluable addition to any team. And a trader. If bartering is going to be part of your survival strategy, you'll need someone who is good at it. Additional skills which would be useful. I've separated these skills out because they are not as necessary. Even so, having them could make life easier for your team. Some will become more important as time goes on and your team becomes involved in attempting to reestablish society. Hunting. While chances are that you won't be able to hunt much to feed yourself, it could still be useful to have members of the team who are hunters as that could augment your food stock if you happen to live somewhere where it will be possible to hunt. Fishing. If you live near water, you might be able to harvest more animal protein from fishing than hunting. However, this isn't the lazy fishing of sitting on the bank taking a nap while you wait for the fish to bite. This is using traps and nets to increase your yield. Butchering. While you can just hack up an animal and make the meat edible, you're going to get more efficient use of the meat in in that animal if you know how to butcher it properly. Tanning. Leather is useful for many things including shoes. Being able to properly tan a hide, turning it into leather, has become a lost art. But in a post-disaster world, it could become a very necessary one. Midwifery. Not all medical personnel are trained in midwifery and not all midwives are trained in other medical skills. Blacksmithing. At some point in time, your team will probably be part of trying to rebuild society. When that happens, you'll need to make things. The blacksmith can make just about anything as long as it is made out of metal. Sewing, spinning, and weaving. The first cottage industry to appear in any society is usually textiles. While there will probably be an abundance of clothing sitting around which can be scavenged, that clothing will eventually be gone. When that happens, people will need to start making their own. 
teachers. Your children will need to be taught, and a minister or counselor. There will be team members who have difficulty dealing with the situation and need help with that. One important thing that everyone needs to understand is that they won't just be working in their specialty, especially if their specialty doesn't require full-time attention. Some activities like gardening won't be able to be fully completed by one person. They will require a team effort. So everyone can expect to get their hands dirty in the garden and take their turn standing guard while others work. All right, so some basic rules for any survival team. Any team needs rules. That's what government does for us. Providing rules and making sure they are obeyed. Within your team, this will be the responsibility of the leadership of your team. Even so, everyone needs to be part of creating the rules at the outset and agree to follow those rules. Everyone works equally for the benefit of the team. There are no slackers. And uh, well, these are rules here that, that I'm going to be reading. So that first one was, everyone works equally for the benefit of the team. There are no slackers. Everyone agrees to submit to the leadership on the team, both in training and in a survival situation. There needs to be some sort of financial commitment, whether that is a set number of dollars that each team member contributes or whether it is to pay for certain things. You need to establish a core list of equipment and supplies that all team members agree to invest in. And everyone needs to agree to come together for training, practice, and planning sessions. And lastly, you need to establish OPSEC or operational security rules for the team, which everyone must agree to. This must include an established procedure for talking to people outside the team. So in conclusion, you need to establish a plan for what you're going to do should a disaster happen and put your team into survival mode. This includes who or what will trigger the team into action, what you are going to use for a survival retreat, and how everyone is going to get there and how you will divvy up the workload once you get there. All right, guys, that is, like I said, over at Survivalpedia. There's some uh, co- a couple of comments here uh, that people have left. And so, uh, you know, might be interested in going and checking those out. Uh, just people just leaving a little bit more information there. So uh, something to consider there. I mean, you, you know, you look to your family, look to your extended family, uh, look to your circle of influence, your, your friends, those people that might be a little bit more uh, apt to uh, understand where you're coming from in preparedness. And more than likely, if you have uh, if they are good friends, you have mentioned it before you have gone that that route before. And then from there, you know, someone said, uh, like looking at your church people that you get, you know, you get along with, you know, uh, religiously, you know, you have the same faith and then kind of going from there. Right. And, uh, but definitely some things that are doable here and you can start thinking that way. Uh, if you are, uh, you know, a young, young father or a young mother and you have young kids now, definitely you can start building this into your family right now. If you're a little bit older, uh, you know, you can, and if your kids are, you know, a little bit more open to it, uh, you know, you can start talking a little bit about this and, and maybe start throwing some things out there. Hey guys, what would you think about this? Or, or if this happened, what would, you know, what would you do? And then, you know, if you're in a situation where everyone is on board, well, then you can really start to, uh, you know, come up with some plans and, uh, you know, come around the table and, you know, f- with a with a dinner, right? Everybody, you know, make a make some kind of food, a dinner, whatever, pizza, and, uh, you know, get around the table and talk about this with the adults 
and like, hey, let's kind of throw this out there and and see where it kind of takes us and then see if there's something that can form, right? And when I say adults, I'm talking about, uh, you know, adult children, uh, maybe some adult friends if, if you're willing to bring them in. And then you, you really do need to do like an inventory of what people know. And if there are people that would be willing to go learn skills, you know, maybe you would um, you don't have a doctor or or a nurse um, in the group, but maybe somebody would be willing to go to uh, to learn how to be a paramedic and uh, have a little bit of information there, or someone would be willing to go to nursing school, uh, you know, and and definitely you know learn a lot more uh, there. So uh, again, like I said, over at survivalpedia.com, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. All right, so our next article comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. And it's one of those articles or one of these topics that I've talked about before, and I think it's very relevant. I just haven't seen a lot of, uh, of talk on it. And so it was really great to see Salty uh, write this article and, and put it out there because I think it's one that we need to, to consider. And so it's uh, Bicycle, the often forgotten bug out option. So if you are someone who is planning to bug out, um, you know, having bicycles might be a very, very uh, important um, item to have. And so you might want to, if, like if you plan on bugging out in a vehicle, you might want to include a way to bring your bicycle. So if you do get locked down, if you do get into a place where you run out of gas or you have to, you know, finally trek it, uh, you know, by foot, you're able to take those bicycles down and you're able to pop on them and, and get going. And there's just so much more ground you can cover uh, with with bicycles. So anyway, let me go ahead and jump right into this one uh, again. Bicycle, the often forgotten bug out option. So let's start reading. If forced to bug out by foot, I would much prefer to have those feet turning bicycle pedals than ground pounding. Why? It's faster, much more efficient, and I can carry a lot more with me. Let me explain. A bicycle is faster than walking. Even the best, most fit walkers, carrying no loads whatever, cannot keep up with an out-of-shape little old lady on a bicycle. Most people not carrying loads have a walking speed somewhere between 2 to 4 miles per hour or somewhere a little over 1 meter per second for our friends in metric land. A fast walker with no load often hits a pace of 5 miles per hour, but it's a pretty fit person that can keep up that kind of pace for any decent length of time. Add to this your bug out bag weighing in at 30 pounds and that 2 miles per hour looks a lot more likely than the 5 mile per hour speed walker. On a bicycle, even one loaded with 100 pounds of gear, 5 miles per hour is crawling. I'm old, chunky, and slow and even on my posh in-town hybrid bike carrying panniers of groceries on both sides, I ride a lot closer to 10 miles per hour than I do 5. You can go farther in a day on a bicycle than on foot or walk farther if the bike is carrying the weight. A great walking pace for most people would be about 25 miles a day, and that's carrying only a very light load, if any. Many people would struggle to do 10 miles with 30 pounds on their back. A normally fit person on a bicycle loaded with 50 pounds, 75 miles a day is very reasonable. In fact, being within a day's bicycle ride was one determining factor when choosing the place for our bug out location. You can comfortably carry more payload in a bug out. I don't know about you, but I would really struggle walking any distance with 50 pounds of stuff on my back in a pack. 
I honestly don't think I could keep up any kind of pace at all with that weight. On my bicycle, I wouldn't even notice it was there unless I was on a pretty steep hill, and even then, I always have the option of getting off and walking the bicycle up the hill. It's easier on the body, knees, ankles, etc. I have bad knees. Spice's knees aren't super duper either. Riding a bicycle is a lot easier on the knees. It's not nearly as likely to cause feet to blister, ankles to turn, etc. If necessary to take a load heavier than you can carry, you can use the bike as a mule. People in third world countries, and even here in the good old USA, often load up their bicycles with huge amounts of cargo and use them as a truck walking alongside of their bikes. On the return trip home, unloaded, they simply hop on and ride. Preppers can use this technique as well. You can get away from trouble faster. I am terrible at running, and I can't run fast at all or run far either. It would be shocking to me if I can run 10 miles per hour for even a short time. I can, however, get on a bicycle and ride 10 miles per hour for hours on end without stopping if I need to. If there's trouble I need to get away from, I'm a lot better off on my bicycle. It's the quietest, fastest mode of transport. One good thing about bicycles is how quiet they are. Unless you, like when you were a kid, you used clothespins to attach cards to your frame so that your spinning wheel spokes make motorcycle noises. In some places, bike paths are direct routes that avoid roads. If you want to get from St. Charles, Missouri to rural mid-Missouri as quickly and directly as possible, and the roads were clogged with traffic fleeing the city, the Katy Trail would be the most direct and fastest route. In fact, it's more direct than are the paved roads so that with one of us on the bike, on the trail, and the other driving the car, the driver wouldn't arrive much before the cyclist. So they did a podcast here on uh, bicycles as a prep. And so it's episode 16 of Beans, Bullets, and Bandages and You, if you're interested in uh, listening to that over at uh, this um over at their article. And so like always, I'm going to link to it. And so you can listen to their podcast about that. All right. So continuing on one thing to keep in mind, most bicycles are better than nothing, but good quality bicycles that actually fit and bikes that have racks on them for hauling bags are much better than big box, $70 cheap bikes. You don't need a $1,000 bug out bike, but having something that's of decent quality will make your life a lot better if you have to use it. I carry when I can. Personally, I carry a bicycle in my car everywhere I go if I can. I figure if I need to get back home, it's going to be a lot easier to do that on a bike than it is by walking. And uh, there are bicycles that you can purchase. I remember one of the uh, my coworkers uh, sent me, an, uh, I guess, a link to a YouTube video of a uh, end of the world type, you know, collapse uh, radio theater. And uh, it, this guy was, uh, I don't know if he was like a gas worker or uh, electrician or whatever, but in his van, he carried around uh, like a fold-up bicycle. And so I always thought that that was a good idea. You know, if you needed to, you needed to get home quickly. 
you can you know put on your backpack and you or if you had uh you know for whatever reason your your car was disabled uh you could you know get to your trunk or whatever and and pop it up and then break out this uh this bike that's foldable and you know some of them are pretty reasonable you can get them for about three four hundred dollars so if you're someone who's you know like you travel a lot or you live pretty far away from uh or you work pretty far away from home that might be something that that's uh, a valuable prep for you that you can put you could stow away in your trunk, and, and uh, or maybe behind the seat of your truck or whatever you know, and then you're able to uh, you know bring it out if you needed to to get home quickly. And so uh, I I do think that this is something that needs to be investigated a little bit more. And of course, along with bicycles, if you are making this part of your prep, you want to have backup tires or, or uh, you know tubes you want to have ways to patch tubes you want to have ways to uh, you know to take off tires and to make repairs and all those you know have some basic understanding of, of how a bicycle works but definitely I think very doable when it comes to uh, using this as an alternative to to bugging out uh, and then you know even if you were going into the woods uh, and it just as long as it wasn't like you know very thick underbrush you you could take a mountain bike into the woods to a certain point right so that might be uh something that you consider as well so guys that's over at beans bullets bandages in you and like i said i'm going to link to it in the show notes and uh, if you're wanting to come check out the podcast uh you can come check out uh their podcast as well Well, everyone, that is it for episode 356. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the Prepper website, podcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.